Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is William Ramsey. Before I bring him on, a couple of announcements. Coming March 11th, 12th, and 13th, you got Forbidden Knowledge News Con. We're going to have eight amazing presenters. It's going to be online with a Rockfin Premium membership, and that means you can get the entire conference for only $10. All you have to do is sign up through that link in the description. You're going to get access to not only the conference, but all our premium content and all the content from every creator on Rockfin. You can always get new episodes free on Rockfin, Odyssey, and all podcast platforms. Check out the podcasts that we feature on the Forbidden Knowledge Network. Those are amazing. You can get those all in one place on our website, forbiddenknowledge.news. We feature some amazing creators on there. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Those links are all in the description for you. Today, I want to welcome William Ramsey. He is an attorney, author, and researcher, and graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, with a degree in history. He is the author of several books and two documentaries. William, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. I, I thought today we could talk a bit about your book, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order. And when looking at the series of events since 9-11 and even before with other major events that really shape society, um, if you look long enough in the right direction, uh, if I, you know, especially for myself, I can see the not only profound connections between the events – but the direction we're being steered as a collective because of this, and it's not too good. At least it doesn't appear so. Um, so we can go down plenty of rabbit holes, but this is your first time on the show. I'd love to hear really what started you down your path and, and got you looking at the hidden side of our reality here. Well, that's a good question. It's a long question. The short answer was I spent three years in D.C. from 1995 to 98, and I was from Nebraska. I, wasn't, I was very naive. So I really saw a different kind of view of how power operated, but also kind of different relationships and things that were sub rosa, things that weren't covered in the media, connections between people, old clubs, strange things just around were there um, in D.C. So that and there were mysterious deaths, too, while I was there. One was Vince Foster, which I worked briefly on a uh, court case with that. I did some uh know just some basic like work or office work associated with it but it also gave me some insight so that was kind of really where i'm beginning after college where i saw that there was something else going on and this is kind of right when the internet was starting so i lost kind of my faith in corporate media so i was always on the out so 9-11 happened and uh that i kind of woke up to that within a couple years and that really sent me on just like i gotta reread everything and there's definitely a political truth and the real truth. And I was more interested in the real truth after that. So I was really kind of just very suspicious of anything that's on the corporate media and still am today. And doing my research and following other researchers into 9-11, once I realized it was a staged event, um, then I just kept seeing this numerology and things like that, that I really didn't understand. There was a guy by the name of Captain May, who kind of keyed into some of the new numbers, but I don't think he really understood the referential meaning. And so I was doing variegated reading and kind of realized 11, 97, 93, 77, and 175, all kind of focused back onto this one character, Alistair Crowley. But that was kind of my real 
people use terms like waking up, but mine was a low, slower process. But if there was really an aha moment about broader things and events that, that really do, like you said in the intro, change culture and society, it was 9-11 in my realization that that was fake. It was really good. Yeah, for sure. And when you, when you look at these, these, these events that, that really shape society and all these things that we look around today and that we're looking into, these conspiracies. Uh, I was talking with my, one of my producer and roommate, and he's a, a big-time JFK researcher, and he never kind of put together the occult connections. And when he finally did, it hit him so hard like a ton of bricks, he didn't want to look into it anymore. It scared him, you know? And whenever I talk to people like this, it's always all roads kind of lead to the occult, right? A lot, yeah. And I, uh, JFK, too, was in November 22nd, 1963. So there's kind of like an 11 numerology. But a lot of people surrounding that are in secret societies. The mob is really a secret society. Um, so, and a lot of the elite kind of secret societies that tie into 9-11 and you can do, I think a lot of some researchers have done really good jobs. I can't name them offhand, but have shown the similarities in JFK's murder in 9-11. And then the fact that so much of society really changed based upon the hinge of those dates. Now, do you think it was basically, um, when you look at the, the players at the top, the same players in these events? I mean, there's some very powerful people. I mean, my book, really, if you read through Prophet of Evil and get to the end, it's really about George Bush Sr. And he's there at JFK or surrounding that event and 9-11. And uh, so I've shown some real similarities between those two players. And those are examples of real kind of an elite. And I think that in the States, we're brought up to believe that it's we're kind of a, you know, equality nation or we don't have a... Uh, entrenched aristocracy but that's fake so there really are 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 i do believe our educational system is being shaped and information is deliberately deliberately left out or manipulated and that's one of those things that's really left out is that there really is kind of an entrenched elite that have different schooling that go through elite schools ivy league schools and have a different sensibility than kind of like uh, the people who are brought up in public school or may have to actually work for a living so um, that's one example. Yeah, I would say that there's definitely some similarities and characters between JFK and. Uh, well, what about as far as the um, occult practices or spiritual practices of these elites? Um, you know, from what it seems, it can get pretty dark. Um, and there's a lot of things that lead back to characters like we're going to talk about tonight. Al- Alistair Crowley, who was a pretty dark cat, you know. So what do you think? Is this, you know, Satanism or is it something older? What do you think is going on there? Both. I think it's both. I think you can you can see it kind of as Crowleyism and some of these elite practices that have taken place in America really do go back to ancient history or prehistory. So I think a lot of them are kind of keeping some of those ideas that go back to Greece and Egypt, and that goes through the Masons and everything like that. So But then you can take Crowley, who was really kind of a scholar, but you have to put Crowley in the context of the American elite and really a global elite. Somebody who never worked for his living, was uh, an occultist, really was an elitist, an aristocrat, very wealthy. So you can see those kind of similarities leading up. But if you look at like the Bush family, you don't ever see them in church, but they're at the tomb in, in Yale. 
Bohemian Grove, which is totally occultic and druidic, which is part of the Bohemian Club, which is a club. So the Bohemian, a lot of people don't know that the Grove is an offshoot of the Bohemian Club in San Francisco. So it's a very Tony kind of West Coast elite club. And then you can go to the House of the Temple in D.C. That's where these guys are hanging out. Um, so these are not people who are hanging out in cathedrals or uh, doing work for church or synagogue. And so then that's that's the whole different religion is what is these people? It's really kind of that old time. And Crowley himself in, integrated a lot of those ideas, but really his what differentiates him from maybe kind of a, kind of a standard, uh, maybe a, a witch or a Wiccan, is that his experience, his so-called stated experience with this being, I was in 1904 in Egypt, where he received the Book of the Law. He later on admits in the uh, <clears throat> in Magic and Theory and Practice that this being was Satan. Like he actually lays it out. So he was definitely a straight out Satanist or Luciferian, but not in that kind of caricatured view of somebody like you might see, like Anton LaVey, who shaved his head and wore a, a goatee. And that was the strange thing about Crowley is he could be walking down the street and tweeds and really nice suits and people might not know his background that he's drinking blood and raping children like literally he admits to that so um so i think that understanding cruelly you can kind of understand an elite that's really different in their in their sensibilities and outlook towards history and things like that that come through that they're they're uh yeah, they're aristocratic in their sensibility, just like Crowley. Crowley called himself the priest to the princes. So he really never had an egalitarian sense of wanting to share his ideas with the general population or ex- express them. So he was always moving among elite people and trying to train them in his sensibilities. And I think that's very important in understanding part of kind of Crowley's thing is that he really was an aristocrat and reached out to aristocratic type of people. Right. Well, that's what I want to get into is for those in the audience that may not be familiar with, you know, how Crowley came up and how he became such an influential piece of this, you know, what you call new world order. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, how did he, he come up and become so influential in this, in this kind of uh, realm? I think that's an important question. So you have somebody who's born in 1875 at the apex of really the British Empire. Um, So it's a Victorian era. He's very well educated. He comes from a wealthy family. When his parents passed away, they think that his inheritance equaled like 20 million pounds. So he never had to work. And he dedicated himself to really three things, mountain climbing, poetry, and occultism. And he became part of these kind of elite secret societies. Uh, One is called the Golden Dawn. And he came through the Golden Dawn. So Golden Dawn is a post-Masonic society. So he'd already learned all everything he learned about masonry to the Golden Dawn. Then he joined as German and became eventually the head of a group called the Ordo Templi Orientis, which was a German secret society. And his kind of like what he learned was about sex magic, which is a lot of people were doing that in Hollywood, apparently, and drugs, the the use of drugs. So I think he was a real precursor to the 60s revolution, cultural revolution, which really was a kind of cultural revolution. But like I said, he was always associating with elitists. He's writing all the time. He really never worked. So he had this vast corpus of poetic and magical writings. And 
he had this view, and I include that in Prophet of Evil. Like he saw that he was a prophet of a new age. He really tried to style himself as that, or a prophet of what he would call a new aeon. And <clears throat> really wanted to create this change in societies, but the change that he wanted wasn't some type of egalitarian. In, in one of his doctrines, Lever 77, which ties into some of the numerology of 9-11, he said the intro is comes from out of the book of the law, which is the slaves shall serve. So he had an aristocratic, he thought that the best type of social organization was the feudal one, which, you know, you would think after the progression of kind of uh, enlightenment and things like that, we would have moved on past having this idea of, you know, a, a literal feudal government. But for Crowley, that was the ideal, being run by kind of a, a new elite almost. So I think that that's kind of ties into his ideology, ties into the New World Order ideology, which really is a neo-feudalism, where you just have kind of these mind-raped, uh, beguiled, mass formation, psychosis, hordes being ruled over by a kind of... Uh, an elite beyond uh, that has values beyond all traditional values. So I think you can see that ideological tie through Crowley to um, to the kind of modern international, what would you would call the new world order, right. of which Biden really is a part of. I mean, give, given tons of speeches about that, talking about the new world order too, which you can kind of um, see, like you mentioned earlier, this whole event about what this virus is, the subtext or the agenda behind the virus. So I think, um, and I mentioned in my book too, I mentioned actually at the very end of the book that they will use, and this was written in 2010, but I, I actually mentioned that they will use vaccines to kind of initiate the new world order. Poison vaccines, this is page 200. Currently, a more, uh, majority of vaccines used in medicine are tainted with poisonous material. Um, the any right, rational person would realize these ingredients are revolting, disgusting, have very serious, deleterious implications for the human body. So, I include that back. Then. I was saying that in 2010, so you were in the present 2022. Anyway, so understanding Crowley, his ideas, his ideology, I think very important, and that's why I tied it in. That's why I wanted people to understand the events of 9 11 and had to go back in history to understand Crowley to make the present the past present right now before we get into some of the tie-ins to 9-11 there's a couple of huge uh, occurrences that that happened with crowley and uh ritual magic that most of people hear about you like you mentioned one earlier the channeling of the the book of the law with uh, this this entity that uh, he kind of channeled called Iwas. And then there's this other kind of instance where he was, you know, hanging out in the desert with uh, L. Ron Hubbard and, and other uh, influential characters, and they supposedly channeled a, a demon into existence. Now, right. that was a different story. He's not right. with Hubbard. He was with a guy by the name of Victor Newberg. Okay. And they were in the Algerian desert at a at an oasis called Busada. S now, I, I was hoping to get clarification on both of these things because I know they get they get mixed up a lot, and there's a lot of confusion about it. So, which of these which of these occurred first? Busada happened when Crowley was traveling. He was actually had the keys of John Dee, who was a 16th 17th century magician under the Elizabethan queen. So he he was in contact with. They had this arrangement where d was the magician and then there was kind of a scryer writer d and kelly and crowley and newberg were doing the same thing so they took 
these things called aethers and they had all of the documentation to try to break on through to the other side, so to speak. And they were traveling in Algeria and Newburgh, well, they were engaged in magical practices at this thing. And they supposedly rose a demon uh, whose name I can't remember right now, but yeah, they had communication. This is pre-war. So this is like 1910. And then, then you go post-war and then something similar like that happened between Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard, where they were doing a magical ritual to try to bring in the, the, the horror Babylon BAB. The way Crowley wrote it was cabalistically more pregnant with meaning. So he spelled it B-A-B-A-L-O-N. But yeah, so those are two separate events, two separate religious kind of black magic events that have happened in 20th century. Yeah, oh, that's very interesting. Now, <clears throat> wasn't he involved also in World War II and as a spy in some aspect? Definitely in World War One. So he came to the United States actually on the Lusitania, if you remember. Uh, the sinking of the Lusitania brought the U.S. into the war. But he came in, I think, 1914 to New York. So he spent about three or four years here. And there's a really good book called Secret Agent 666 by Spence, where he goes into detail that the American government knew that Crowley was an agent of the British government. At that time, it was called the Special Intelligence Service. It morphed into MI5 and MI6 later. So Crowley was really at the very beginning. And he was probably an asset from when he left Cambridge because he spent time in Russia in 1904 before the 1905 revolution. He actually garnered a lot of ideas for his religion from Orthodox Christianity in Russia, but he was probably always sending information back. So world war one, definitely he did these funny stunts and that were actually recorded in the New York times where he said he was a member of the Irish kind of Republican army, which was trying to, you know, always trying to get under the, the thumb of the, the queen, so to speak. They're always trying to unite Ireland. So he said he was one of that. So he, he went out into the New York Harbor in the Hudson in front of the Statue of Liberty and ripped up his passport, his British passport. And he liked to do these ridiculous stunts. But yeah, he was definitely an asset. And probably all the way to 1947 when he passed away, he was always an asset for the intelligence services of Britain or the UK. Because when Hess did his crazy flight from Germany to Scotland. I think it was in 1941. Crowley actually sent a letter to Ian Fleming when he was in the Intel and said, I can give you advice if you need advice from me. And he gave him known people like JFC Fuller, who I read about in my book. But it just shows that he's, there's that, and people have asked me these questions a lot, which is this tie in between Intel and the occult, which really goes back in time. I mean, it goes back to D. It goes back to some of these other people. A lot of these occultists are very comfortable in the magical practice and even to the foundation of the CIA and the National Security Act in 1947. When the National Security Act was signed by Truman, which he regretted, like behind him were four members of Skull and Bones, right? So members of an occult, elite occult secret society who really were beneficiaries of the, this new act. So I think it's important to see that a lot of these, and you can go... Even in kind of modern CIA assets are familiar with some much more familiar with the cult principles than people might uh, know, or be they might be surprised. And there, I think there was one. It was uh, uh, E. Howard Hunt. He wrote fictional novels, and one was about the occult. So he knew all about a lot of that occult, and he was involved in Watergate, and JFK assassination. 
So understanding the occult's tie into intelligence, at least through Crowley, I think is very, very important. Did he have any relationships with Hitler that you know of? And I've heard this from, well, from different researchers. There's a he definitely was in. Okay, he said famously after World War II, he said made a statement that was in Time magazine that said, "Before Hitler was, I am." And it's a really dark play on a statement Christ made in front of the Sanhedrin when he was getting ready to be uh, crucified. And he st- and Christ stated to the Sanhedrin, before Abraham was, I am, which is an incredibly potent, powerful statement of meaning about who he really was when he was on trial. Right. Um, so Crowley's kind of saying that and you can kind of play. And I've, I've made these statements before that. Hitler was much like a a political or politicized Crowley, where Crowley was more of a cultural literary figure, influential. And like Hitler was kind of putting that stuff into place. So this kind of slave state, the slave shall serve. Really, Nazis really kind of implemented a lot of very similar stuff to Crowley. So Crowley was in. uh, So if you remember when Hitler came to power, I think it was 32 when he became chancellor. um, Hitler, uh, Crowley was in. Berlin at that time for like two or three years. So Crowley had those years where he was there. And it's weird that there's an interplay and there's similar people that Crowley knew that Hitler knew. One guy's name was Ewers, E-W-E-R-S, who was a kind of like a dark fiction writer, like maybe like an occult or paranormal writer would be today. But he was in friends with Crowley and Hitler knew him as well. He was, he was a member, he was, you know, within the Nazi hierarchy. So there is overlaps there. And some people have said Hitler, uh, Crowley was Hitler's uh, Hitler's handler, which I, there's no proof of that. I couldn't find any proof of that. There are books that say that Hitler had help from the outside when he came to power, which is probably true. And the same thing happened during the Russian Revolution where there were external powers trying to influence local politics. And even today in the United States, which is incredible how much money comes from outside of the U.S. to influence the U.S. political process, which never should never happen, but well, something's gone wrong in the United States. A lot has gone wrong. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so Hitler, and there is an overlap, and I actually have a section in my book where I talk about Hitler in my book, Children of the Beast. I have a section on Hitler about all of Hitler's occultism and stuff like that in his books and similarities to Crowley. He said certain things that come from the book of the law that are very odd. And one is like success is thy proof is something that came out of the book of the law in 1904. And Hitler said the same thing. Like he said the same thing in German where winning is your proof. So that's you just success. It. And it's kind of like a ideology that's beyond good and evil or morality. So you just win. So you see there's definitely overlaps between Hitler and Crowley. How much more they knew each other. Some, uh, and I think it's a mistake looking at history, but a lot of people just look at Hitler as a political figure. They don't understand his occultism, but he had a lot. So Crowley's main, main ideas was the will, right? So his, uh, his religion was called Thelema, which is a Greek word for will, right? And so he talks about the primacy of the will. He had this axiom. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So it was all about human will and using will to overcome. And here's Hitler doing the same thing. I have my power, my will to overcome. And you can see his will. He's putting his will to test 
from the very beginning, even before the putsch in 1924, and then comes out the triumph of the will with Raffenstahl. If you remember, this is a very influential, influential documentary called The Triumph of the Will. And so you still see that same thing that overlaps between Crowley and Hitler. And Hitler, if you watch Triumph of the Will, it's intentional that Hitler is coming out of the sky like a god or a being or a titan coming down to be above the German people, you know, like he's some kind of like uh, magical figure or something from the heavens. It's really intense. Wow. So, yeah. so there you can just, I mean, that's just scratching the surface. The similarities are off the charts. And if you, I mean, like if, if you read my book at the end where Hitler's, I mean, Crowley, Crowley's talking about his ideal society, like he's talking about getting rid of the weak, getting rid of the Christians, uh, getting rid of the dross, living off the, the herd. And then you see Hitler, not a Christian. He was from a Christian family, from, from a Catholic family. But I include in Children of the Beast these facts that they were getting ready to, to outlaw Christianity. They were just waiting for the right time. None of those people at the top of the Nazi hierarchy had anything to do with Christianity. So they're similar. Um, they're similar. They're similar sensibilities between, and there's another similar sensibility between Crowley and Hitler's ideology. Nice. I mean, Hitler himself said he was a pagan to the core. I think he said, "I am a pagan to the bone." In two thousand twenty twenty nine, I think he said that. So, and I think Hitler would identify with that. Same, I mean, Crowley would identify the same thing. He was a pagan too, but a real, really a Satanist. Man, that is so interesting. That and you never. I mean, from from all we know from our history, that he was, you know, a Christian and he was marching right. for Christianity. Right. Know? Well, he used that. I mean, he said like God met un, So they had, they had kind of they were appealing to the Christians, but the core Nazis were not Christian. They just used it as an ideology. And Hitler himself, that whole notion that he was a Christian is totally fake. I, I can I can win that argument all the time, and all of the major historians of that time, whether it's uh, Schreier and all these other guys, they all mentioned they were waiting to just outlaw Christianity. They did not have a Christian worldview. That's very interesting. Now I want to get to uh, how Crowley influenced the events of 9/11, of course, uh, and there's some very significant numbers involved, including which were the flight numbers. Um, could you talk a little bit about those connections? Right. So the whole thing had a occult, esoteric underpinning. Even the building of the buildings, which were really were called David and Nelson after the two powerful scions of the Rockefeller family, right? They were very strangely built, but they're really almost like a big 11 in the sky, right? And Crowley actually in his writing said that the 11 was like an ideogram. So it didn't even just represent a number, it represented duality or two things. And you can go into, I mean, you could do write a whole book on the occult underpinnings of the World Trade Center because it's just full. It has the, uh, Spherical carry added, which was featured in 1999 in Fight Club. It's 110 stories tall. It's an 11. It's broken into three parts, so it's a 33. I mean, they really put the works into into those buildings. Whether that was it, so the the day of the event is the September 11th, right? So George Bush has his famous New World Order speech. When does he have it? November 11th, 1990, right? Do you remember that one? Yes. Okay, so he has it down to 11. So they've got, they have some kind of internal structure of this event, in my opinion. 
So the start off of the events really was the, the planes, two planes hit the World Trade Center. It was flight 11 was the first flight. Second was 175, right? And then you had flight 93 that supposedly went down in Shanksville and flight 77 hit the Pentagon. Well, if you go back through and look, and I show it in the book, I think it's clearly laid out that really 11 was the prime number of Crowley's whole Thelemic religion. It was an essential component of everything. It was the number of magic that came out of the Golden Dawn. So I think if you were doing a magical kind of mega ritual, 11 would be a central part, in which it was a central part of September 11th, the 11th day, right? So um, you'll see that. And then 175, Curly had written down kind of his Libras or books. He systematized his religion. So he had it all numerically based. 66 talks about human sacrifice. Um and then 175 was, which God do you adore? And you're supposed to do this adoration thing. So 175 represented that. 77 I talked about earlier is Libra Oz, but also had some other meanings that even came up to the, like there's in LeVay's satanic book or whatever it was. It was 77 names of Satan. So you can see that 77 and 77 gives the kind of numbers of Babylon as well. 77 comes together, the beast in Babylon, which is part of really weird parts of Crowley's system. And then 93 was important to Crowley because, like I told you earlier, his religion was named Thelema, but he had this kind of do what thou wilt idea, shall be the whole of the law, love under law, love under will. And what he found out doing Kabbalic kind of breakdowns, what, what, what Kabbalah would do is these letters had numeric valuations. And he found that Thelema and Agape both added up in Kabbalic breakdown to 93. So what happened within his religion is because people who are inside the Thelemic religion of do what thou wilt knew that this 93 was an important breakdown. And it was like worth 93 million miles from the sun. There's all kinds of interesting correlations or correspondences, Crowley would call it. Yeah. But they would... Um, start shorthanding each other, 93, 93, 93, as a numerical mathematical representation of the 93 concepts of agape and philema. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. No, go ahead. Were you right. saying something? Well, I was just going to say, like, so Crowley kind of adopted, like, like a lot of these occult figures, are, there, there are people within occult history who are very smart. Crowley was one of them. But he encapsulated a lot of, ideas that came out of and through masonry. And one, one was that you could define the entire world through nu nu numerology or numbers. And I include a quote of that in my book. So he could, these numbers were a way to interpret reality. So I think that it wasn't just that the numbers and Crowley's system have independent value. It's that they're referentials to certain comp concepts. So it's not like a simple numerology, like, oh, number seven represents the sun and the scars. It's that 93 represents agape and thelema. 11 is the number of magic, which represents all kinds of things in his system. So it's important to kind of make that distinction about in Crowley's system. They're, they're, it's, like a it's like saying John 316 or something. Like John 316 represents a very well-known piece of scripture that people repeat. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son and believed on him to have eternal life. It's Probably pretty profound. Like 
it's pretty profound how how much these these guys use numerology and even astrology. Uh, I know that right. they 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 based a lot of their actions off of the stars and the positions of the stars. But as far as the the planning of this whole nine uh, eleven and you know the series of events that happened between and after. It's pretty profound to think that they had been planning this for, I don't know, it had to have been maybe even hundreds of years. I don't know. What do you think? It, well, I would be shocked if it was really went back 100 years. But I think they talked about it for decades. There was a senator, Kerry from Omaha, who said, yeah, yeah, they've been planning this for decades. Like he said it in a real offhand way. Like these guys, a lot of these guys knew something funny was going on. But to think that it went back to a millennial kind of long-term thing would be a, within the strain of the occult that's beyond my comprehension. Like, I would really be shocked. I'm shocked about a lot of the thinking that went into 9-11. <laughs> yeah. But to think that it went back a thousand years. But it, you have to look at it like it is an apex kind of moment in human history, right? It's the turn of a millennium. So if somebody's thinking about global change, like... Why would they do it in 98 or 2002, right? It just makes sense. Let's do it 2001. Like this is, we're going to do some event where we're really going to change history and impact the globe. 9-11 is it. And I don't think it's a mistake that 2001, A Space Odyssey, which was co-written by Kubrick and Clark, was, to, was dated 2001 because I think they knew they were, were floating in those same occult circles and were in New York. Imagine they were actually writing 2001 A Space Odyssey as the Twin Towers were being built. So they're in New York together, right? They're actually laying the foundation and brainstorming, how are we going to make this movie? While the Twin Towers are being built to 110 stories. And the size of their um, monolith, do you want to know how high their monolith is? How is it? 11. It's 11 feet tall. So these are not mistakes. And you can go book at the, look at the Millennium Tower that's right next to the World Trade Center. It's a, it's a monolith right out of a space odyssey. So these correspondences are not random. They're coming out of the same ideology. And Clark was a full genius. Like he was at the really the high, the top of the bell curve. And you can go read his books. I include, I include, um, a chapter on Clark in my book, Children of the Beast, because I think it's important to understand that he knew all this numerology. So all the numerology that I'm talking about involved in 2001 is, is integrated in all of his books. So it's there before the, the events of 2001 happen. Does that make sense? It does. So Clark is a key figure. And his third rule of things is anything, what is his third rule of dynamics or whatever you can read about it at Clark is, is that, any sufficient, high, highly used thing of technology is indistinguishable from magic. And something really super high technology happened on 2001. It's a different generation of technology took place there. I don't know. I don't even know. There's a lot of unknowns. Right. I mean, it was uh, apparently there, there was many levels to it, but one of them, uh, one of the base levels was a mass ritual, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, um, when it comes to the predictive programming you were mentioning, like uh, like two thousand one, there's there's a lot of kind of weird things that you see in the media, but the media in Hollywood itself kind of uh, was used to shape culture, and didn't Crowley no. have a, a big hand in in that as well? 
I think that he influenced a lot of people there. I mean, he died in 1947, so he clearly, what his ideology and his his doctrines. I mean, you can go through and I would talk in children, children of the beast, how many people in Hollywood are associated or, or knew Crowley. There's a guy by the name of Donald Camel who literally sat on Crowley's knee, made a bunch of movies. He was friends with Marlon Brando. Uh, there's Kenneth Anger. So these are known ones. These are some other movies that have a lot of Crowley themes in them. Um, so the totality is might be more difficult, but there's a lot of occult movies that hinted at the events of 2001 their 1999 was like a high watermark year that came out with all these strange movies eyes wide shut ninth gate fight club uh there was a a, a schwarzenegger movie called end of time end of time clearly they know what's going to happen in 2001 there's definite references to the 2001 and, and i think it's called the end of time or end of age is that the one with the, arnold schwarzenegger you said yeah i'm gonna have to go yeah, back he, and watch that yeah. yeah where he fights the demon at the end in the church go watch yeah. that because when the devil approaches in the background is the twin towers right out the window like there's oh, wow. there they're they're foreshadowing that yeah so a lot of and, the, and then fight club two foreshadows it too because there's a sequence in fight club if you remember the grand spherical caryatid rolls down and hits the Starbucks. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah, I remember that. So that okay. circle, that's right there in the circle. That's right there in the circle between the Twin Towers. They, they, yeah, and at the very end, yeah, go watch the very end of Fight Club, man. Go watch the very end where the Twin Towers are the last two towers to go down in the background. That's interesting. I'm going to have to do yeah, that. Yeah, 1999. Go back and watch it. And there's, oh, there's there's all kinds of occult stuff in that, too. Palniak, he's he knows a lot. Yeah. Uh, but, you know... Uh, so yeah, so you can, once you kind of see the wide angle of these occult themes, Harry Potter is probably one of the most influential books and movie series ever made. And it all has all that Crowleyism or things that come from the Western esoteric tradition that Crowley encapsulated in them. What's the size? I mean, Harry Potter's looking around for a wand. Do you want to take a guess how long his wand is? 11 inches. There you go. Ding. Right. So it's all there. Once you yeah. once you see it, they're exposing J.K. Rowling, man. She whatever or whoever she's a front for, or whether she did it herself, they really got. They, I mean, you want to talk about a change agent or somebody who expresses an ideology through the entire world? I don't know if there's anybody more successful than her. Well, how much uh, does I- intelligence do you think uh, have a relationship with with Hollywood and what they're feeding it, and yeah. and you know what's coming out? Because you mentioned earlier that there's a huge, profound connections with the occult and intelligence, and you tell people that, and they're like, you know, they don't want to look into that. They don't. They don't even want to hear that. But you know, the more you look into it, the more it becomes evident. What are some of the the biggest things that you can connect uh, to, like the occult and, and intelligence? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's some researchers, I can't remember his name offhand, but he's really done a good work on finding the CIA's backing of certain films to come out. So if you remember, I think Pearl Harbor came out in 2002. And remember, 9-11 was supposed to be a new Pearl Harbor. So that kind of cultural impetus, uh, you know, was supposed to, and what's Matt, not Matt Damon, but what's his friend? That guy is totally like Intel connected. I can't remember his name, but I mean, it just goes so deep. It, you could do a whole story. Yeah. Ben Affleck. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it goes, there's a lot of those. They're intentionally created 
to influence culture or create culture. There's a lot of stuff. I wish I could remember a guy does a really good job kind of breaking down the CIAs and the Intel guys going, but they always have had an Intel guy or somebody Intel associated running a lot of that stuff. Jack Valenti was a sidekick of uh, uh, LBJ and he was installed in a lot of ways to like be a, a gatekeeper in a lot of ways is my understanding that he was installed to make sure that certain movies got made, certain movies didn't get promoted and to control the culture through that. So Valenti is just one example. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know a lot. I know a lot about the occult films and stuff like that, but I don't know as much about how much is getting puppeteered, but I, I right. suspect it's, it's much more than people would expect. Now, earlier you mentioned COVID and everything that's happening now. And, you know, to anyone with eyes to see, they can see that this is all connected to previous events and everything kind of leads to another. Uh, as far as 9-11 and the planning, like you said, it's kind of uh, it's unfathomable some of the planning that went into this. Um, how do you think that this this event, 9-11, kind of led to the trickle effect of what we're seeing now? I think it's the similar agenda. It's really kind of uh, an elite. I mean, if you look at what happened over the last two years, everybody, the middle class and lower middle or the underclass or whatever got screwed, right? So all the money moved up. That's exactly what happened in 9-11. So I think it was a very thought out thing. I don't, this didn't come out of nothing, this whole COVID breakdown. I didn't understand that at the beginning, but a lot of this stuff goes back to 2015, 2016, 2017. So they had an agenda. And I think they laid it out very well. And so, and I think that it, it really will end up changing the kind of uh, political system that we had. Maybe not so much as 9-11, but they really, they really did. They really are trying to in, integrate the B system, so to speak, through other means. And I think that agenda is there where you have a pass card and you have to show your vaccine passport and all this stuff is really an attempt at control because one reason you can tell that it's an attempt at control, they never emphasize natural immunity. And so you should have a natural immunity card if you've been exposed, if you can prove you showed it. <clears throat> and that would take you completely out of the um, vaccine necessary, right? Because natural immunity based upon all science, this is real science, is that once you're immune, you're never affected to again. That's the whole idea of vaccinations, right? So getting the disease would be more effective than getting vaccinated, but that's not what they're emphasizing. That's how you can tell there's a scam, massive scam taking place. And they they intentionally kept um, life-saving drugs out of the system, and they aggressively did that, and they, they're actually, yeah. The monsters, like oh. there's no other way to put it. The, a lot of these people running this whole COVID thing are monsters they tortured my mom who's in a old folks home when they could have done a lot of different things in treating them so it's for me it's personal like these are monsters do you think this, this plan or this agenda these this covid vaccines everything we're seeing was in the works since 9-11 or maybe even before you know this is long-term planning know. like you said there's a book um i wish i could remember the title of it now let me see if i can find it they do a really good job. There are people who were involved in formulating a lot of this stuff. And it's a book I think everybody should read. And the title of it is COVID-19 and the Global Predators. 
COVID-19, sorry, COVID-19 and the global predators, we are the prey. And as Peter McCullough, who's been in the news a lot, Zev Zelenko and Elizabeth D. Villette, but it's primarily written by Peter Bregan and his wife. So it's COVID-19 and the global predators. Highly recommend that book because they really do show the agenda leading up to what happened in 2020. Right. And you can see this kind of um, intentional either silencing or destruction of a lot of spirituality or different types of religion, mainly Christianity, globally right now. And it seems like kind of a, an offshoot of the original agendas of Crowleyism and the basically the doctrines of these elites in the New World Order, which they're trying to roll out. Would you say that's pretty accurate? Absolutely. I think Crowley, and I show that in my book, like, we have to get rid of all the Jews and the Protestants. He didn't have a problem with, with Catholicism because he probably saw it a lot of his paganism, which is a lot of paganism. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think that that malevolence is there and uh, it's just rearing its ugly head. I think that there is a subtext of the Darwinian kind of kill off the people, kill off the weak ideas here. It's very unsympathetic. You know, a lot of these technocrats and they're really medical technocrats. And uh, so you can tell, like, they really, I mean, it's really interesting what they let people up, but they shut in California, California, where I live, they shut down a lot of the Christian churches who've won litigation, but they kept open bars and strip joints. Go figure on that. How does that, how does that tie into something? So it's very arbitrary and capricious, all of their baloney and their masks. And most of these kids who are young are immune from that. And them trying to stick them with this um, gene therapy, it's really not a vaccine. Yeah, right. Which, uh, yeah, it's really gene therapy is super dangerous and you can tell they're malevolent. And I would not recommend, I mean, I've had COVID. So I have, I got tested whether the test is legit or not, but <laughs> yeah. I had something that was like COVID. So I'm immune. I don't need to take a, va- I don't need to take a vaccine. Right. Um, so I, I'm not saying go out and get COVID, but if you're young and healthy, you can probably get it. I mean, here's this. You want to see this? I'll show you this. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that oh, I got is my the... prescription for ivermectin. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And uh, I took five. Actually, I'm on, I just finished two rounds of this. So I got one. I got, I got it through the internet. 60 bucks. Took a lot of vitamins. Drank a lot of juice. Got oranges. Well, yeah, we have a, a thing called called an immune system, and uh, that's what everybody should be relying on right now. Uh, but when it, when you look at this this massive global agenda, and it's it's probably agenda on top of agenda, they're probably using it for multiple facets, and on top of that, multiple occult aspects, maybe even ritualistic aspects. Who knows? Uh, but as far oh, as go look, hey, sorry to interrupt, but go look yeah. at the Georgia Guidestones. That's what I was just about to say. Look at the Georgia okay. Guidestones. Okay. We got depopulation uh, agendas on top of that, right? <laughs> right. And what are the Georgia Guidestones? They're huge monoliths, right? So it's back into the same theme that we were talking about, two thousand one. Uh, yeah, it's a huge monolith. It's the same, it's the same parameters or whatever design as a monolith in 2001. There's a correlation there. It's very important to understand. And you can see that I actually wrote this book in 2010, but during the beginnings of COVID, I made Prophet of Evil into a documentary, which you can see on Vimeo. So Prophet of Evil under William Ramsey, it's only five bucks, but you can see a lot of the pictures that I use and I include the Georgia Guidestones at the end. And I show 
uh, sleepy Joe Biden talk doing his new world order speeches. So he's part of the whole agenda. Now, when you look at the, all the, the predictive program, like we were talking about earlier in the movies and media, is this something because it's part of their doctrine that they have to show us kind of in a way what they're doing? I've heard of that. But I think there's a wink and a nod. Like, I think that the numerology of 9-11 was inside. Like, the average person who goes around, they would just go, those are random numbers. There's no pattern. But somebody else goes, oh, I know exactly what this is about. You know, I get what I get the agenda when I saw it. So somebody at 9-11, some of these heavy occultists, they understood what was going on just like that. Bam. Like once they saw all that. So the average person who's not in the occult. Not, so I think that there's a wink and a non-signaling function to the insiders. Uh, but how much I think that there is. And I think it's probably gone through time. If you look at the class system or just the elite system or a feudal system. There's always, it's always, it hasn't always just been forced. It's always been a informational monopolization as well. So the people at the top keeping information for themselves. So I think that some people get it and some don't. So this information of like what was going to happen during COVID, I bet people knew what the accurate solutions were. They just didn't share. So the peasants get killed off. Whereas the elite get ivermectin and, the, and hydroxychloroquine and uh, monoclonal antibodies, right? So I think that some of that, some of the the perception that people like they they're actually putting it, like I think it's uh, it comes from Hoffman, right? Where he's supposed to the they have to put it out there to absolve themselves of responsibility. That might be part of it, but I think there's other things too where things leak out, where some people know the real agenda. And, uh, you know, some people try to warn or hint, but like, I do think it's kind of like an insider winking and nod, like, hey, don't you get it? Like, I think that that's the way that the masonry works or any secret society, it's initiation. So the initiates have the inside information and the, the rest of us don't. I don't know. Do you think that there's a, a duality to this ritual magic to where it just depends on your intention and how you're using it? It could be used for, for good purposes or it could be used for bad, or do you think it's all just something not to be messed with? I mean, I have to take the biblical view. So my biblical view is don't mess with it. You don't mess around with any of the soothsaying. So I think that the 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 notion that it is a white there's white magic and black magic, from my perspective, is not valid. I've heard that within the occult. Oh yeah, we're only white Wiccan magicians, and we're really and maybe that. And I think some of that is really for public consumption, right? Oh, I'm not a, in a bad guy. I'm a white magician. I, you know, I just want to make healing solves and dance around an oak tree, right? Um, so I think if we, I found in a lot of circumstances, like my studies in the West Memphis Three, they're using that to intentionally deceive people. Right. This whole white magic, black magic thing. So in my perspective, there isn't any difference. And then the same thing with Wicca. Wicca is interesting. Like people interpret it today as this kind of white naturalistic magician uh, stuff. But the guy who started at Gardner has an OTO connection to Crowley. Crowley may have written some of these rituals or he borrowed some of the information from Crowley. So it has a very dark foundation. So I, I don't believe in that white-black magic uh, distinction. 
And you mentioned numerology uh, a few times, and I've had a few guests on that that deal in numerology, and it's very fascinating the connections that they can come up with to any event that really occurs uh, in our future or even in the past. They can link it up. What do you think is going on there with these numbers and its connection to things that happen in our reality? I don't know. I mean, I've heard I've heard stories that Christ was born on 9-11, right? That somebody mm-hmm. tied that. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that some of these occultists, they have to follow their religion. Their religion has certain numbers. I think that Christians do too. Like we celebrate Christ's death and birth, Easter, Christmas, the 25th, right? Uh, so you have certain, or in, even in Judaism, there's certain dates very important. So they have to practice their religion or, or Islam. So I think that occultists are no different as far as that concerned, whether there are power in actual numbers is a whole nother, um, is a whole nother story. Well, with, with what's happening right now, um, I see a lot of mistakes occurring on their part on this new world order. I see a lot of people waking up, and I don't see how much more they can throw at us before we just full-out rebel on it. Uh, but I, I want to get your opinion. Do you think that we have a chance? Do you, do you see them making mistakes at all? Or do you yeah. see – you know, what do you, what do you think? No doubt. I think they made a mistake. I think that they're going to reap the whirlwind with this whole COVID thing once people realized how bad they got duped and how they got shaped in this mass formation psychosis. And I think you're seeing part of that in Canada right now. Like people are done. Like, hold on. You guys just, you, you, you bungled it. This, you got an F like you didn't even get close to getting it right. You took money out of people's hands. You made the rich richer. You're not setting. And so I think that the consequences of this for the elite are they're They're in trouble. You're starting to see them kind of change their things. The good, the head of Pfizer came out and said, our vaccines really aren't as, as effective as we thought. So it went from 99% effectivity all the way down. And this booster, at a certain point, people have to realize that they got duped. Like, at what point does somebody feel like they got duped? Like, I got duped on 9-11. But it, well, there's going to be some angry people. There's people dying from these vaccines or whatever. <laughs> They're really gene therapy. They're getting dying from the shots more than the COVID and the COVID could have been minimized with the proper application. Well, they should have started with a more fierce um, type of uh, ailment than what they're calling COVID. I mean, 99% survival rate, the the average person dying is in their eighties. You know, if this was an evil scientist's invention, he would have been fired in my book. You know, I don't know. It just seems so weird that there, you know, that there's this psychosis that people are falling for all this nonsense still, you know? You're right. No, you're right. And I think, I think, you know, I think there's actually are other similarities between 9-11 and this. And it's the fear of death. If you remember how smart they were at 9-11, like bin Laden could pop out any moment and kill you. He could drop a nuclear bomb. He was a threat. Remember, there was an immediate fear of death. And I think that's the same thing with COVID is that's really the trigger on a human being. They could be feared about like getting their credit card overrun, running out of gas, their kids hating them could be anything, but the fear of death is really the ultimate trigger. And I think that the political system has used it in both events. Oh, yeah. For fear sure. of an immediate and terrible death. Look at what did what they did at the White House. If you don't get your shot this winter, you're going to suffer a horrific death. They literally wrote that on the White House stuff. Like, 
you Give know, me a I break. Like a pandemic, I'm waiting to see people dropping dead outside in the road, and I'm still yet to see any of that. But, you know, that's just me. <laughs> I think they were very clever. I think they, they showed that people didn't know what was coming. But, like, even Fauci said there's a pandemic coming, if you remember that. Yeah. Um, so, you, I mean, I really recommend people get that book because I think, like, if people are on the fence, like, oh, I don't know if uh, this was planned, I think that their sensibilities will be fully changed like it'll be obvious to them that this whole thing is planned i'm yeah. trying to find the white house thing here i've got oh, yeah. it somewhere yeah. it, i wish I, I don't know if i can share it yeah oh yeah so. let me uh let me turn on my screen share for when you find it but it seems inevitable that uh this whole thing is going to crash down eventually um and I, I just – I don't see it being sustainable anyway. The whole system, I mean the whole system they set up, it seems like the monetary system, uh, the political system, everything is crumbling and people just don't want to, to deal with it anymore. They don't want to deal with the lies and the corruption and I think that it's all going to come to a crash and how bad that's going to be on society, I guess we have yet to see, right? You're right. I mean I, you, don't, you don't know but societies have gone through – kind of mass manias and march of folly. But this is kind of different whereas if people wake up, they could just have a massive change. I mean, it could end up the, the pendulum could swing all the way to the back, all the way to the other side where people aren't going to believe anything you say anymore. Like, I mean, the legitimacy for me of Fauci is zero. Like, I don't believe he just yeah. came out and said, we're part of a slow part of a 10 year process. I'm like, no, we're not. We're done. I'm this thing is burned, going to burn through anything. So yeah, these guys are liars, man. They're the most vicious uh, social liars I've ever seen. So I don't know how they're, like I said, I don't know how they're going to get through this. I wish I could find this thing from the White House. No worries. But, you All know, right. I think that for me and in my immediate circle of friends and family uh, that I that I know is kind of getting through this, it's not non-participation is the key for them. They don't watch the news. They don't participate in the BS. They don't wear a mask. They just go about their lives like it's a normal thing. And we're all doing fine. You know, it's those people that are living in fear, the fear that you were talking about that they're pushing. Those are the ones that are probably going to suffer most through this whole thing. And I think those are the ones that, you know, that really need to be gotten through to for, uh, for this thing to turn around. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's bad. Let me see if I can find, let me see if I can share this. How do I share? Sure. They should have a uh, share screen there. There you go. Can you see that? Yeah. This is it. Election watch White House COVID response coordinator tells unvaccinated Americans to be prepared to die. <laughs> like they literally had that on there. So, oh, here, here's the other one. Oh my God. Yeah, watch this. This one's even better. Stop. This one's even better. This is a literal White House source. This is not the onion. This is not it. This is we are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing. We will get through this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. That came out of the government. Wow. Came out of the government. Oh, man. I was sick yeah. for like, uh, I had the, just like a kind of standard flu. I mean, I think Ivermectin put, probably put me over the top, but um, yeah, it's insane. It's insane. These these people are evil, man. They're, I mean, they have to be looked at kind of cosmically evil, not like bunglers, but like really malevolent 
monsters like Mengele. Yeah. Like Nazi monster. They're, they're literally all at that level. The people who imp, imp, uh, impacted this. Right. And not really giving them a choice. A mandate is a kingly edict. It is not, it's, it's, it's not a democratic process. It doesn't have size. You, it's a nice, it's probably been tested in, you know, a social group or a group setting. Like what's the nice word we should put out? A mandate is a press is like a kingly edict. Yeah. There's no place for that in a, in a, in a democratically based society. Give me a break. Well, you have to do that. I think that if you look at the bigger picture, the the good news is if you're looking at maybe a spiritual aspect of this or a biblical aspect uh, or something prophetic. I was talking with Susan Bradford about this uh, the other day that all the time when you look at these older uh, – these prophecies and the biblical aspects that the light side or the good always wins, that the, the, there's always a crumbling of darkness. And I think that's no different than what we're going to see now, and I don't think they have a chance. And I think within our lifetime, we're going to see things a lot different. I don't know. What do you think? I hope so. I think the alternate media is really kind of like uh, the foundation of um, people's salvation if they can get good information because the corporate media is controlled. It's all, it's a pyramid. There's five or six corporations. They all get paid. They all get bennies from the government. There's all kinds of tricks they did. One of the ones I learned in D.C. is that the just for people to know, the presidential office gets these funds, these discretionary funds for drug abatement. And it's a huge amount of money, like $750 million. So they can get ads. They can give ads to people to put on these TV stations, right? Well, they're only being shown at night. So it's basically a free gift all to whatever corporation you want. So you can say to CNN, we'll give you $100 million this year to run these ads at four o'clock in the morning. But it bolsters all their bottom line. That's just one way they can manipulate things through corporate medias. And that's they can put, you know, all kinds of hooks and attachments to it. Does that make sense? So my point is, is that the alternative media is at least getting people to think and to uh, assess things for themselves, really. And there's some really brave people out there, McCullough and Malone and some of these other guys. So I hope that people think about them and kind of get off this fear. I mean, there really is a it really is a spiritual war. It really is about fear and fear of death. And a lot of the people who didn't buy it or haven't bought it are Christians because they just didn't look at it. They, they kind of view the Christian view isn't really that popular. I mean, it's not that positive because, you know, they say that people are going to hate your guts and there's lies and, the, and the, the end of the world is not a pretty event. You know, so it's kind of like different in some other religions where they're always trying to sell you a sugar coated thing. So I think. I don't know. Some people made really good decisions. I don't think I did. I did. I don't think it'd be at the beginning. I did, but uh, hopefully for all of society, they will get off of these. And it's, it's become corporatized on Facebook and Twitter and some of these other so-called social media sites too. So I would recommend people get off of those too and try to get good information uncensored. The real fact their censorship is off the charts. Why do they have to censor? They should just say it's, it, this is a joke and move forward. Yeah, if they had yeah. legitimacy, if they had legitimacy, they wouldn't have to censor or they wouldn't even have to go on something that this is misinformation or disinformation. They'll say, this is what we know, but they can't do that, which right. is very telling. 
It is very telling, and you know, it's just there. That's what they are afraid of: is us telling the truth, and and that's why everything yeah. is being censored. But we live in fascinating times, terrifying, very interesting. Yes. And thank you so much for coming on. That was fantastic. Before you head out, uh, let the audience know where they can find your podcast, books, social media, all that good stuff. My podcast is William Ramsey Investigates, so it's kind of like an investigative journalism podcast. I have a bunch of different guests. So you can see that on iTunes or anywhere else. Um, I have five documentaries on Vimeo on different subjects of Cold Hollywood, Crowley, Children of the Beast, and then the Smiley Face Killers. I have two documentaries about that. So you can check that out on Vimeo. And then all five of my books are on my website, William Ramsey Investigates, or you can buy them on Amazon. Awesome. Well, there is so much more we could talk about. So I would love to have you back on in the future. We got my pleasure. To- yeah, I'd love to. All your books are fascinating. And uh, until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening, and we will be talking again tomorrow.